Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the NRL Bulldogs Fans Podcast. In a little while, but welcome back to the NRL Bulldogs Fans Podcast. Scotty and Matt sitting here yet again. And Scotty, we haven't done an episode since the trophy lift of the Jersey Flag Good Bulldogs team over the Roosters 20-20 at the New South Wales Rugby League Grand Final Day. How good was it? Amazing. It was a great game. You know what? Credit to both Bulldogs and Roosters. Put on a show uh, that day. Uh, both teams, yeah, great grand final. Both teams you know, deserve to win it. However, I think the Bulldogs' desperation is the mm. reason they get the, they get the win. High-quality game for Jersey Flag, even for a Jersey Flag grand final. That was Super very bad. good quality. Um, yeah, Roosters, congratulations to them as well. It's been 19 years since the Roosters won a Jersey Flag. Uh, in 20, first time in 20 years the Bulldogs won a Jersey Flag competition, so how good's that? But, um, yeah, I think the difference, two-point difference, so not a lot, but the difference on the day must have been the experience, right, of... Um, Certain Bulldogs players that have played up upgrades, oh, sorry, yeah. up levels this year. Um, but Harry Hayes, what a monster, eh? What a performance. The wing in this year's cup, <laughs> a season second row in Jersey Flag. Yeah. He's, he's just, Harry. He was looking not, huge out there, wasn't he? Yeah, I'm not going to, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to call it like he's not played so many top grade games or whatever, but he's got the potential to be a real club person, you know. Who you know, if you put him on the wing, he does a job. Like he's never been bad. In this, what I've seen anyway, the games mm. that I've seen, we've seen quite you know quite a lot, and look at reports quite regularly when the games we can't see if it's not televised or we can't get to. Yeah, but he's always put on a performance in the wing. He yep. doesn't look out of place on the wing, and then at the second row, what a machine, what a monster. Um, so he just looks like one of those players. Just put me anywhere, coach, and I'll do the best I can. So a real looks like a real club person. So hopefully, you know, he can kick on and be a bulldog for a while. He's definitely one to watch. Um, but I think obviously the experience for Anil and Ola Apu definitely helped on the day. I probably was expecting a little bit more from Ola Apu with the experience that he's got going back to Jersey Flag, a couple yeah, of grades right. down a level. But he wasn't bad, and he had some really really good moments. But he he didn't really own the whole game, uh, which yeah. I was hoping to see. But perhaps he's just not that type of player. Uh, Joe Ash Papali'i um, played a lot of the the uh, season fullback for this was Cup team played a fullback. Of like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, he's definitely one to keep an eye out for. And at the end of the day, his goal kicking was the difference. Both teams four tries. Joe Ash Papali'i three from four, including two from the sideline from memory, um, and the Roosters kicked two from four, so that was the difference. Um, Halftime so I was just going to say, not just the goal kick from Joe Ash Papali, two try-saving tackles he was involved in. Uh, one where there was a grubby kick back in the inside on the goal post. I thought, oh, this is Roosters, a guaranteed try. And he's done the karate chop around the back and made sure the Roosters dropped the ball. And he was also involved in a tackle where uh, the ball was then dislodged and the Roosters player ended over the try line. Everything ended over the try line. The, the ball was dislodged and Joe Ash Papali's contact was the reason the ball screwed out of, you know, was lost by the Roosters. So he saved two tries as well, um, which, you know, Roosters score one of them. Roosters walk away with the trophy. And Joe Ash's desperation twice. So I thought, in my opinion, he was my man of the match watching it live. But, you know, there's a lot of other players who played really well. So it was... 
Joe, uh, sorry, halftime score was 14-10 to the Roosters, so the Bulldogs had to overcome that uh, and, and get the victory there as well in that second half. Um, I'll tell you what, though, we were winning 22-14 from memory, and the Roosters scored in the 62nd minute of a 70-minute match. Celesi uh, Fortelli. Um, when that try happened, though, I was very low, Scotty. It yeah, felt like the Roosters were running home strong, um, they beat us a couple of weeks previous too, didn't they? No, we beat them. We, oh, we beat them. Okay, yeah, it looked like they were coming home. Yeah. yeah, it looked like they were coming home strong. The Roosters um, felt like they had the momentum, and there's still eight minutes left after that try. Uh, I remember being very nervous, but I'll tell you what, I don't know if it's been a while since. Uh, I don't know if it, the reason for this is because it's been a while for the club to have some success. We, we won Harold's match earlier this year. But in the lead-up to this game, Scotty, you were actually there. I was watching it on TV. But um, yeah. in the lead-up to this game, I was as pumped as any first-grade game <laughs> we've had this season watching the game. I was cheering just as loudly. Uh, and how much blue and white was in the crowd? Mate, massive crowd. Over 10,000 for the whole event. Yeah, I think it was about 5,000 for, for this game. Yeah, it was unreal. Like, uh Blue and white, heaps of Bulldogs. You know what? I'm going to give t- t- credit to the Roosters. They also had North Sydney Bears with their final game that's affiliated with them, actually. So bit of, there was a bit of Roosters fans, and uh, it was a hard day uh, for the Roosters in whole, but there was a good chunk of Roosters fans. But every time when the Roosters ran out and the Bulldogs ran out, you could feel the difference. It felt like it was a Bulldogs home game um, when that game was on. Uh, unreal, unreal atmosphere. Uh, Combank is just, I think, the perfect stadium for that. It just... Echoes and, mm. um, but everyone's a bit louder at grand final, aren't they? Or any elimination finals game, everything gets oh, a bit louder. I um, think we've spoken about the atmosphere at that stadium previously. Yeah, um, it just holds holds the atmosphere in, uh, no matter how many people are there, right? Yeah, and it's just you know, obviously the more the better, but yeah, ten thousand people, the atmosphere come through the TV quite well. It was um, rocking at the New South Cup game. It was rocking. Like I could swear if they announced thirty thousand, like yeah, that sounds like it. Obviously, definitely not. But it was just absolutely rocking in both those games, and it was great. It's great for the players too. Like, you know, that's a good development for the players. You know, they yeah. would have played flag in a lot of sometimes in the park, or you know, at yeah. a course stadium type thing where there's a thousand people in an eighty thousand seat stadium or two thousand people in an eighty thousand seat stadium. Yeah, that's pretty cool because you know you get a little bit more people watching you. You know that because it's for an NRL game, but. Having five or six thousand people at a stadium that just echoes and built to keep atmosphere and make it bounce off bounce off the walls around you, you know that actually felt like to me like there was it was a really loud crowd for both games. That's you know good development. If players kick on when they go play top grade, if they make it to that level, we'll have experienced something like that. Not completely the same, but at least something like that. It was. Um... Yeah, it was a really enjoyable game to watch, and like I said, I was cheering just as loud as if as if it was an NRL game, and it was good to get the win and see the boys lift our second trophy of the year after the Harold Matts team also did so earlier in the year. So Junior's doing pretty well. <laughs> the junior reps going pretty well there, Scotty. Uh, Jordy Mazzone got a double in the grand final. Congratulations, Denny Gabriel. There, he looked like a, he looks like a unit, doesn't he? Playing out in the centres, um, playing in the flag and looking a bit like a, a brick shit house. Uh, obviously, he's got a couple more years of development to go. He might be um, 
menacing figure by the time he gets through to uh, through to the NRL. And obviously, you don't want to over-predict or predict things too early, but he could end up playing in the second row. If he's that wide and solid now, um, I don't know if it was just because he was playing flag up against other younger players, but uh, he looked as solid well, as some NRL centers. Yeah, and you got to think that, you know, I could be overreacting though because I never realised how big Harry Hayes was either. <laughs> yeah, Harry day. Hayes was a bit of a unit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic uh, result there. Uh, yeah. Bad day for the Roosters. They lost the uh, Jersey flag and then they'd go on and their affiliate. Yeah, then they lost the NRLW uh, match later that night, which <laughs> means they lost the, the hot favourites to go grand final day. Yeah. It'd be really interesting to follow that those players though developing throughout the grades over the next couple of years and um, moving into Nisawa's Cup. Um, yeah. See how those how those boys develop going forward. Um, okay, let's uh, get on to a bit of news. We've only picked some certain um, things to touch on. Probably the most exciting, Scotty, is since we last spoke on the podcast, the Bulldogs have officially put a bid in for an NRLW license for 2025, it looks like. How good. I'm not shocked. I mean, they've always... We, we knew it was coming after the redevelopment of Belmore was announced. Yeah. Um, and the Warriors have also put in their bid. I think it was about a week after Bulldogs put their bid well, in. So well, those are the favourite two to expand in 2025. But uh, it's real exciting. To me, the Warriors... You can bring them back. They were in before the... You know, inaugural team. You know, COVID is the only reason they're not there. So bring them back. I think it's only fair. But yes, the Bulldogs got the female change rooms. But it's also going back to Lynn Anderson's days. No, she's not there anymore. Mm. But on the podcast, we asked her that question, and it looks like that same vision's continued. It's making sure they're ready for it. They didn't want to have one for the sake of having one if it wasn't going to be taken seriously. So with this redevelopment, having you know girls having their own sheds. Yeah. Look, Belmore's the perfect ground for NRLW. Is it yeah. not that double header that we had this season? At, Tigers. At, uh, yeah, I think Stars, Tigers yeah. and Newcastle were the two home teams. But that double header that effectively the Bulldogs hosted at Belmore Sports Ground, that was a really good event. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't attend, but um, watching it through the TV, that's like the perfect venue. These older venues, these suburban venues that perhaps the NRL have outgrown. Well, I believe the NRL has outgrown a perfect values for NRLW. It's like, I'm trying to compare it and say it's different, but like, it's like the domestic cricket, isn't it, right? Like, you look at domestic cricket, they play at North Sydney Oval and stuff. Yeah. Great venues for that, but you can't see Australia playing at North Sydney Oval ever, right? Makes no sense. But there's still, like, a home Yeah, for that in cricket, you, you know? So, using that same theory is that these venues, like Leichhardt, that's right. Uh, Cam, I know the Tigers are playing more at Leichhardt, but that's a different thing. It's not our podcast. That's not about them. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. Leichhardt Oval, great venue for that. NRLW. Uh, Belmore. I think we will see more specific moving forward. My prediction for the NRLW is, um, this is probably more, more widely speaking, but I reckon we'll see those type of venues become NRLW venues. We already know that once uh, the Quakers Hill... Parramatta Eels Centre is up and running. The NRLW team will be hosted out of there. I think they've got a 
5,000 seat stadium or, or something like that. Seats for 5,000 people at that field there. Um, there's going to be a redevelopment of the old showground at Moore Park. Uh, that's going to be designed for women's sport. Uh, if Bulldogs get an RLW license, apart from big events, you'd imagine the Bulldogs would be playing NRLW games at Belmore um, consistently. You could just sort of see it go that way, couldn't you? Yeah, uh, yeah. Brisbane Broncos were playing at Langlands Park in Brisbane, a uh, 5,000-seat stadium um, for NRLW this year as well. But then you can see the Dolphins yep. play at the Stadium for like a full time. And, you know, yeah. they play like their couple games a year. But, yeah. Um, and like, I think that's a brilliant way to start because not not that we're just starting off. Or if we're talking about the Bulldogs, okay, let's talk about the Bulldogs build more. How good would that be? Say the capacity drops to – capacity realistically at the moment's 17,000. Yeah, I was going to say 18, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think every crowd has been 16, high 16s or just over really? 17, around there. Um, if we lose 2,000 off that capacity with the redevelopment, uh, and the club has said that – well, the CEO has said that we'll find space elsewhere in the stadium, which I'm not sure how they do that. But if, even if we do lose – 2,000 and have a 15,000 capacity stadium. Um, and 4,000, 5,000 people are coming to these NRLW games. It gives them about 10,000 extra space to grow. Yeah. And they can grow into the venue. Um, the, the, the club itself, the NRLW club itself, um, but the game more widely as well. That's That would be how I'd be looking to grow NRLW. And more and more, surely, NRLW becomes more and more their own events, right, in the future. Well, yeah, it's, it's. I think you're Not right. I think connected yeah, to an NRL doubleheader, yeah. I think the also as well. I think the only team that is really done, well, not really done, but like the only team who could play in the main field by themselves is Newcastle. Well, yeah, congratulations! Sixteen thousand people attended semi-final uh, of the NRLW at Newcastle. So how was that? But and I think they had a home game this year was like eleven or twelve thousand, just a normal game, just a standalone game by themselves. Yeah, I'm not too sure about that. It was over yeah. ten. I can tell. You, I can tell you that it's over ten thousand. So that's like you know, Newcastle just showing in their rugby league town. That's all. <laughs> that was. But I wanted to. You always praise good team, but you know, I agree with you. Like, if the even if the Bulldogs, well, it's, it's got to be accepted, right? Like, where can the Gold Coast play? They can't really play at Burley's home ground or Tweed Heads home ground. It's not really set up for broadcast properly. So there's going to be exceptions, right? But um, that's how I look. To grow the the women's side of the game going forward, but yeah, like, but also, but the, even if you like, you build one, you said that they average four. Even if they average like two or three thousand, yeah, start average. with yeah, 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 yeah. There's definitely it's still a bit of an atmosphere. Like, how much does the grandstand hold? About seven, so about seven yeah. or eight. Uh, so even if you got two or three, and if it's all general admission to start off with, as it's just a general admission event, but you think it's best best grand, two or three thousand the grandstand is actually quite a decent atmosphere, I think. I mean, might not come across the TV if most of them are sick of the grandstand and the hill looks empty, and that's what, unfortunately where the camera points. Yeah. But as attending the game live. Yeah, and you can feel yeah. the atmosphere even if you can't see the crowd. But anyway, moving on, I, the next bit of news uh, that I've got here, Scotty, Jason Taylor has signed on as an NRL assistant coach on a two-year deal starting from 2024. Thoughts? I've said it on the podcast a few times. I was a part with North Sydney Bears, like staff for a season, 
Yeah. And over to a closer chase talent. One of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Yeah, I've met him a few times myself, and he's always been really, really lovely. He's not your over-the-top. He's like an introvert, nice guy. Yeah. It's like He's not going to be over-the-top, like, how are you going? But very quietly talks to you. Uh, you know, you ask him anything. He was always transparent and, you know, honest. He was very helpful, uh, yeah. very welcoming, very proud of where he works. Uh, Absolutely. So as far as... Coaching experience goes. He's coached the NRL as the head coach at Parramatta Eels, the South Sydney yeah. Rabbitohs, and the West Tigers for 140 games. And he's been the assistant coach probably most recently at the Roosters before he took up the Bears position. Yeah, and he's been doing some stuff at the Roosters still between that. Like, look, took a step back from the the Roosters more, more permanently, but to do like more half or specific kicking type coaching type stuff. But attention to detail. He's fantastic. I've been able to be in the sheds when he's actually given a halftime speech. I wanted to run for a war for him. And I wasn't playing. Um, so I think he's a great coach. He's, like I said, he's not the most social, but very attention to detail. Also, if you look at the teams, I don't have the record and exact record in front of me. He coached the Titans, which is one of the most basketball clubs last year. Like, he coached them. They had some decent results, you know, coming than what they are currently, that ninth spot. Um, the Paramount Eels had a decent record of power. Okay, so I've got the, the results here. He had a 62% win rate at the Paramount Eels for his one season. He coached Souths for four seasons for a 42% win rate. But look at the, what was the years he coached Souths? So 2007 to 2009. So before so they... Seven, eight, not yet. That's three years, isn't it? Seven, eight, yes, nine. Yeah. And then um, three years at the West Tigers as well for uh, just under 40% coaching record there. Um, but he took the not... Tigers at a very much basket. Like, yes, they're basket against now. But they were sitting around that nine. And I felt like they were building something. Yeah. And he got one loss out of which I thought would have been a good uh, building thing for them. And the Tigers sacked him like round three or round four. Joke. Yeah. They should have let the season play out or at least play it to round 20 or something so before you knew, before you sacked him. Um, and when, when he was assistant coach at the Roosters, when he was full-time assistant coach at the Roosters. Won the grand final of the Roosters. Won the grand final, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's a career coach as well because somebody with his rec, like he has led the smoothest ride in the, as a coach. But for him to, uh, you know, step back and accept an assistant coach role, but then also to step back, I don't know if you'd call it a step back, it might be the same level, but to, to step into that Bears role and progress that team. Uh, and he directed them for COVID as well, which would have been really hard for a part-time club, well, part-time team in that club. Um He's shown real leadership skills there, but he's also shown his commitment to coaching that he's happy to sort of take that step back to further develop and further prove himself to give himself another opportunity at the NRL level. So that that's something that I think deserves a wrap as well. Yeah. I like so hopefully he could be the foil for Kimberton Serrano that Serrano maybe needs. I also think too, as a sister like Serrano Second rower. And Serrano's, his thing's meant to be defence. 
And that's why he was doing it at Penrith, right? Like, as an assistant coach at Penrith, defence is meant to be his forte, like attitude, yeah. um, you know, commitment, and he's a fitness nut. Jason Taylor, also fitness nut, by the way. Absolute <laughs> fitness nut. Um, so both of them are fitness nuts. So I, heard, probably, I like, heard a rumour that uh, JT, the original JT, Jason Taylor, doesn't like bread. <laughs> he doesn't like bread. bread around the place. <laughs> no, he hates bread. Uh, we had, that was a whole thing that we bought so bread. No, uh, so no snags at the at the Bulldogs next year. Yeah, no snag sandwiches, no Bunnings visits or anything like that on the weekends. <laughs> but no, he doesn't like his bread. It's got chucked out. Big rule. Because uh, they do it at the Roosters. If the Roosters did it, the Bears had to do it. And if they want to affiliate properly and want a Roosters connection, yeah. that's fair enough. But a big thing he does, Jason Taylor, I don't think people see, is that every single Bears player, and you got to remember too, like you said, they're affiliated club, they're a part-time club, so they rely on an NRL team yeah. to more help them be around. Um, is that Lindsay Collins was coming through the Bears at roughly that time, or coming like he was in and out of top grade? You know, he was that fringe mm. top grade player at the time. Uh, Brock Lamb is a name that you know, most people go, Oh, that's a name I haven't heard in a while. Very talented halfback. Um, you know, played a bit for the Roosters that year, dropped back, you know, dropped back at the Bears and stuff like that. Um, was that they all wore Bears kits every single game to the Bears, no matter, even if they played every game of the Roosters, uh, like Lindsay had a good like stint, I think a month from playing top grade, straight back to the Bears, into the Bears shirt. Yeah. Uh, they all knew the North Sea Bears team song. They all knew what they knew the uniform standards. He brought they back all... the the identity and, and what yeah. it meant to be a North Sea Bears. It's not just a, it's not a Roosters reserve grade team. It's, it's different. Yes. And like when we had Trent Robertson and other Roosters players come, like Latrell Mitchell that year trained the whole session, uh, did a surprise training session that we found out about, we knew about, and then surprised the players by turning up and did the training. He did it in a Bears training kit. Uh, Trent Robertson wearing Bears hats when he was yeah. around and about the mouth. So it was very a lot of pride, and it was always about pride. Yeah. In your in your club, in your uniform, in your jersey, in your. So how's how's that? I guess. Uh, how does that relate to the Bulldogs? Well, I'm sure you already know a lot of what, what makes the Bulldogs the Bulldogs. He played in the 90s mainly, um, but he would, have been a, he would have been aware of Bulldogs culture, Bulldogs DNA, what the Bulldogs are about. So he'll be, um, yeah, he would be probably educating himself a little bit further on that and really bringing that through. And that's something Serato's been big on this year too. He would have been a fan, a bit older than Serato too. Um, and I think you know yeah. him. I think a lot of I think a lot of the half stuff will be left to Jason Taylor because that's one of the greatest halfbacks of all time. He's uh, an under. He's one of the most underrated halfbacks of all time. I yeah. I remember when I was very young watching him play, and he was um you know right up there when he was playing uh, uh late '90s and, and early '90s. He was spoken about in the same breath as probably just under, but you know Andrew Johns and Breck and Morley. You, you had to, there was times uh, where you'd have to name your top three or four halfbacks and you'd say, oh, Andrew Johns, Brecker Morley, well, for New South Wales at least, Andrew Johns, Brecker Morley, Jason Taylor. You know, and when Jason Taylor left Northern Eagles to go to Parramatta, it was a huge signing. Like, yeah, um, probably doesn't get the reps for his playing career that he should, but although he did have a tendency to go field goal happy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, he's one of the best. And I think what's going to help Serrato is because Serrato's a forward. Yeah. Is that maybe he's a, a you know, attacking... You know, well, let's but, hope so. Because one, he's of the a biggest, one of the biggest criticisms of Jason Taylor when he was head coach was that he was five tackles and a kick. <laughs> type of coach. So, Yeah, younger days. Um, then also, I think, you know, also the teams he's coached, we need to put that in consideration and where the Souths were not so good. And I think, I feel like he was building Souths to a more competitive side. Yeah. They weren't making finals, so I feel like he built them up. Eels, that one year he did the Eels. Eels were a rubbish side. 60% win record. And then, obviously, uh, the Tigers. I thought like it was something was starting to happen. Just a one tragic loss and then gone, um, which was terrible. Is that sometimes you coach with what you have in front of you as well. And I think yeah. we had Andy Raymond on the podcast and he was actually talking about Trent Barrett coaching. And I don't know if you remember this, but he was talking about Trent Barrett might be a really good coach if he gets the play, like every player he needs. Play. But he said some of the best coaches, like Wayne Bennett and Craig Bellamy, change the way they attack. Andrew or the, Yeah, or the way they do things based on what they have with them. Yeah. It's yeah. good to have this amazing plan, but if you don't have the players to execute that the, the talent to execute those plans you got to coach within what your players have let's have a look at this i've just pulled up south city's record right so yeah. south city come back in the league and they're coached by uh craig coleman uh for one year he gets replaced so let's let's move on the next coach who had more than one year after south come back in the competition is paul Langback. two seasons 14.3 percent win rate after Kalitas followed him. That's a name that's probably never been muttered again since 2004. He lasted 13 games for 23%. He was replaced by Sean McRae. That's a name going back. Uh, yeah, I remember 20, 25%. And then Jason Taylor takes over and goes to 43%. After him, John Lang took over for two years. It went at 46%, so just slightly higher than Jason Taylor. And then Michael McGuire takes over in 2012. So you could claim that he was maybe part of that build-up towards that team that Michael Maguire ended up having. No, I reckon might be a bit of a long bow, but there you go. <laughs> no, I think it is. Like you got to remember, like he was a tw- a twenty percent team coach. Like he was coaching a team that was winning when he took over. He doubled it. Yeah. So he doubled their their wins per year on average. I'm just going to try to do quickly, try to do the same for the other clubs. West Tigers, Wayne Pierce, 42%. Terry Lamb, 32%. Tim Shields, 46%, which included... Um, 2005? Well, that includes the 2005 season and also um, this Did season. Uh, Michael Potter, 35%. And then Jason Taylor, 40%. So not much of a uptake there. But they... Got, they rushed Jason Taylor out the door to sign Ivan Cleary, didn't they? Yeah. That's what happened there. I think they got rid of Michael Potter, I'm fair. That'd be a bit funny, Michael Potter and Jason Taylor. Because Michael Potter is actually... <laughs> um, Michael Potter's meant to be going to Bulldog since I was cup coaching. That's not something that you put together if it wasn't for the fact that we're looking at this, eh? Hey? Yeah. But yeah, Michael Potter's meant to be coaching New South Cup next year. Yeah. Uh, to improve New South Cup and to open that spot for Jason Taylor. He'd be thinking, oh, Tiger's Day is all over again. I got sacked for you. 
<laughs> and we won't really look too much into the Parramatta Eels one, not because that was his highest win percent, 63%, but it, it was an interim role. Uh, 16 games, 10 wins, 6 losses. We know how teams can perform with interim teams. But I think overall it could be a po- it should be a positive having Jason Taylor come into the team. So we'll see how that affects uh, other positions and the coaching staff moving forward. Once we have uh, squads or more um, solid squads, we'll do an episode on that too, Scotty, and see what our predicted teams will be and all that sort of thing. Um, but let's move on. Uh, this is something that I just saw today, um, published last week. The Bulldogs have the fastest growing supporter base in the NRL, according to a Roy Morgan According to Roy Morgan Research, Parramatta Eels are the city's, uh, city's most popular NRL club. Bulldogs supporter base is the fastest growing. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, imagine we started winning. <laughs> so it does go on to say that um, the popularity can uh, most likely be attributed to multiple factors, including rapid housing development in traditional heartlands of Parramatta and, and the Bulldogs. Uh, but Which is fair. Yeah, Absolutely. If we do, winning brings brings uh, everyone wants to be on a winner, don't they? So look at the Warriors this year. So you're right. If we start winning, um, how good are we going to be? We are. I saw someone refer to us as the sleeping giant in Sydney, and that's true. Look at the crowd numbers we're getting in comparison to the results on the field. Yeah. Uh, look at the crowd numbers we were having last time we had a successful period. Um, Look at 23,000. Yeah, it's it's um it's crazy. If we start winning, how good would that be? Um, we'll quickly touch on the. I don't want to talk too much about it, but Josh had a car incident. There's been a few different stories running around. I've heard about four different versions. Yeah, <laughs> so, I've, heard, I've heard about yeah two. He's so, been out of the tackle or knocked out in a fight. I don't know. It's changed between whichever. There's no video of it. It's I think it was on a field where it wasn't the game. Yeah. First I heard what? he was knocked out by a tackle and that started the brawl. Then yeah. I heard that he got slapped, so he knocked out somebody else, uh, which started the brawl. Um, I've heard that somebody even told me that he was apparently jumping into the crowd to start the fight. I don't know. Uh, whenever you get this much different stories, you can just tally most of it up to just bull crap, right? I <laughs> heard that he wasn't even at the event. That's how much. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the only thing I think brings a conversation is, don't know what, what's happened. I'm sure we might find out if it was as bad as him going into a crowd smacking people or whatever. If that's happened, we'll find out in due course, and I'm sure there'll be a punishment handed down. I'm there sure was one be... article that said there's possible police charges. So, yeah, once we know a little bit more, we can talk about it what we yeah. feel about it a little bit more, but at the moment I just feel like it's just complete crap garbage. Yeah, no, but also, once we, like, we will find out, so I don't want to, yeah. not using, like, would you bring it up because Joshua Cut, like, this situation happened and he's been injured or something and he's fine now, um, like, which is good. But it brings up the whole conversation with NRL players playing in that competition. It is not an NRL. Oh, event. yeah, good, good, good point. I was actually speaking to this, about this, uh, to a couple of people the other day. It is interesting, isn't it? Because we do know in contracts, in the NRL, players cannot go play midweek Oztag or, or touch. Yeah, they can't even, even play can do that. They can't even do that off-season, can they? Well, oh no, they can. Jerome Lawyer does it a little bit. Okay. But he plays like three or four games in between 
to yeah, keep himself so, fit. But that's not when he's not committed he, to training. He's not. So he he it, might have permission to do that. Um, yeah, but that's him on leave as well. Like that's yeah, his yeah. leave period. So and he, and once they go back to training, you don't see him again, or you'll yeah, see yeah. him pop his head around but not play. But, but generally speaking, NRL players are not allowed to play Oztag or Touch because yeah. they're an asset to their NRL club. They get paid good money, and if they were to suffer a major injury in doing that, uh, that would really set back the club. club. And there's yeah, a couple of different ways to think, think about, about this. this. But, but it's great, it's that, great that they can, they go, can back go back to like, to a, like a park, community, community environment, environment and, and represent their the culture. The culture. Uh, but, but yeah, what happens, what happens is to the one of buyers actually do an That's what's going to happen. You're talking about some players, uh, you know, playing for their country, right? Yeah. And they, they miss the end, the end of season test matches, which, you know, I get it sometimes. You know, you have a big season and you got your surgery, right? And you play those test matches that's delaying you by four weeks. And it might delay you from round one, round two, like, you know, or put you in doubt, depending on what surgery you have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I get you know representing the you know the culture and the people, um, but also like you said, the players getting paid. You know the minimum wage is what one twenty or one ten a year. Serious yeah, money on minimum yeah. wage. Um, still, as a development player, it's decent money. You're not getting paid peanuts to be a footy player. So, but we're, we're talking about Josh Adekar, who's reportedly anywhere between 650 apparently to 800. It just depends on who you talk to. Even if on the lower end of that, he's still a high-paid NRL player who's got a high profile. So, I, um, yeah, I, I can understand the, the, the club's not wanting their players to play that. Because also, too, if you look at last year's one, yes, it rained. I can't remember what suburb it was. It was down the south coast. I can tell you that much. It rained. Which made it worse, but it was an absolute cow paddock. Yeah, if yeah. you're talking about ACLs and stuff, or serious knee injuries, or even them slipping and knocking each other out, I, I don't want to be the one that, that comes out and be like, like, oh, they oh, shouldn't should be, be playing, playing and, 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 all and all that sort of stuff. But just, just see them on the one player does a serious injury that would be the end of it. Well, I've Actually, seen it. Again, Brit Bears, like I've seen it happen to a player who had like an ankle injury and they told him not to play that competition for him to play it to make it worse, knock him out for the first four or five rounds. And they told him not to because he was coming back from an ankle injury. It was too close to think. But yeah, like it is a amateur competition, it does bring a lot of pride. Paul Gullen was talking about it and he used to talk about entry fees, but if you absolutely love playing it. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of ex-NRL players still playing it. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I don't know if it's something you've got to wait to the end of your career or whatever, but yes, if if there's an instant, but there's the other issue with it too is not, don't worry about the, um, the, the player's point of view, there seems to always be some sort of brawl once a year in, with different teams. Where last year was a brawl that plays ends up in the crowd, mm. fighting fans. Is this a thing that you want an NRL player to be around? Mm. Like, is this a thing? Because it's not the most high security event, 
and we've we've said, you know, sometimes passion was, you know, wrong call. Not as in like the officials. You know, someone's saying something that they've taken more offence to it or so I don't know, the fight starts. It seems to happen once a year at this event where a brawl, even the crowd or players brawl, which could cause a thing. Do you want Josh Anakar to be around that? Like a player like Josh Anakar, not, sorry, I shouldn't have used it, but like Nico Hines is another who's played, Latrell Mitchell. We're yeah, talking about yes. our elite players in the competition who represent their country, state, and, you know, daily and winner there. Between yeah. them. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, Christian. I guess the finish off this topic, uh, I'd say, say players, players that are playing like joy at, at the moment. Um, it's su- it, is it is such a great, great event. event. Uh, um, so, those so those players should be enjoying, enjoying as, much as much as they can, can at the moment. moment. Like we've been, we've been talking, talking about, about if there if is there a senior, a senior uh, sorry, uh, a major sorry, injury to a senior player, you could see that coming to an end really quickly. next week I had down to talk about Scotty was... um. Billy Slater, he came out and said on the Billy Slater podcast, <laughs> apparently, didn't even know he had a podcast, but he's come out and said that he believes that Stephen Crichton should remain in his position at centre at Bulldogs next year. Um, I think that I don't know if I've said it on the podcast. I think I did. Uh, that's something I agree with. What's your thoughts on that? Hundred percent agree with it. I think Crichton's a, a world class centre. Uh, we had Josh Morris, and I always prefer Josh. You know, Josh is one of my favourite players to ever put on a Bulldogs jersey. Um, mm-hmm. So if you're listening, Josh, hi. Um, but Stephen, look what he did grand final. That try. Oh, well, he's been final. doing it. Done it multiple grand finals, done it yeah. at the World Cup. Yeah, but I'm just, I'm just talking about the last game he just physically was in. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, that's just straight away. You don't have to look back far. All the amazing things he's done at centre. I think his worst top-grade games have been a fullback. And I get it. You know, Dylan Edwards is their full-time fullback. Yeah. And he trains there, so who knows? An off-season at training at fullback and actually being there and thing might be different. I think but he's a world-class strike centre. He makes things happen out of nothing as well. So why take a person who can, who's probably the best... That, Best in the world at the moment. Mm. Is that a fair mm. call to say he's the best center in the competition? Yeah, probably. I'll read Billy Slater's quotes well, the... in a minute as well, uh, so people know exactly what he said. But um, I was all for giving Crichton the opportunity to play fullback um, when we first signed him, because I think any player that has his class and athletic ability, if given a sustained run, to learn a new position, we'll be able to make that adaptation from a centre to a fullback and do really well at it. Um, however, part of the reason that wants that makes me want to keep him at centre is all the stuff that you just spoke about. But we just signed Blake Taff. I yeah, think it's a much better balance if we have Taff at fullback and Crichton at centre. Mm. So both. Of them, I feel like Taff's. You got. He's got that little round. He's a bit of a quick little guy. Not the not the fastest, but he's quick enough to cause damage. Good hands. Got a kicking game, Blake Taff as well. I know this is about Stephen Crichton, but I'll link it back to Stephen in a second. The South Grand Final versus North. If you haven't watched it, probably should because that was also a rip of a Grand Final on Grand Final Day, as well. Uh, Taff's I, was, I was cheering on North. <laughs> yeah, but Taff's kicking game, is particularly mm. short kicking and putting. 
the dinking the balls into it, like repeat set after repeat set. Oh, it was it, unreal. This was cut very final. Blake Taft doesn't play that. He's weird. Yeah, he his ability to read like the numbers and make the right decision with the passing, the kicks was unreal that day, mm. right? But linking it back because the topic is not about Blake Taft. It's about Stephen Crichton. This one. Yep. Does Stephen Crichton have the passing game that Blake Taft has? No. I don't think he does. I think he might have the, the one way. Does Stephen Crichton have the kicking game Blake Taft does? That's a definite no. Well, maybe. That's... We just saw what he did in the grand final. <laughs> no, I know what you're saying. Blake Taft yeah. has played uh, quite a bit of halves in, the, in his um, junior rep career as well. So All the fullback qualities, the, all the best fullbacks at the moment, mm-hmm. like... Love my Hayden Ponga and Walsh. Mm. Like very too good for I'm not saying Taff is that that elite. Um probably the most humble out of the bunch. Um mm. those like both of them, even though Ponga and Walsh are a lightning speed. Lightning mm. on their feet, lightning speed, but they they got a passing game. Yeah. Ponga probably more than Walsh has got a kicking game. You know who I'd compare it to actually. Oh if you yeah. haven't haven't seen Blake Taff play a lot of football. What Connor Tracy did this year at fullback? Yeah, Connor Tracy was huge at fullback this year. That's a good one. But yeah, that's the type of. I think, you know, Taft ticks actually some boxes that Reese Walsh and Kalaponga can't tick. And they get probably get away with it with just, you know, them being just freaks of nature, like athletes. They're just like pure athletes with their speed, gets them away with some of the stuff. But like Stephen Crichton will have those big returns. That's probably the mm. one thing that you'd have him over Taff would be the big returns. But when it comes to attacking plays and attacking sets, I think Taff sums up things better. Taff adds that extra little bit of kicking game. Into you just his... out on size there. You could make up on the wings, but you could also have Stephen Crichton come back for tackle two and tackle three. And you still get that yeah, size right. out of it as well. So I don't think you miss yeah. too much in regards to that. But I yeah, mean, Walsh is not a big player. Ponga's not, he's bigger than Walsh, but he's not massive. Um, Dylan Edwards, solid, yes. but not, not huge. Oh, Dylan um, Edwards is, looks incredibly small live. I reckon he looks small alive, which makes him more impressive. Yeah, I think yeah, if you accidentally was... bumped into him, a normal person would uh, you know, break a hand or dislocate something. Yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think he's a solid little guy. Yeah. But, like, just, I, I don't know if it makes me with more impression. I don't know if it was because Payne Haas was on the opposition side and that guy's huge and Dylan Edwards ran at him once. Sounds like, oh, shit. Um, that, doesn't look, that doesn't look right. But, you know, thing, but Edwards, you know, Edwards shows heart. Wins. Sometimes over the side. Well, heart always wins, doesn't it? Yeah. So, I'm sure, think, like, yeah. And I, I do prefer Taft to play, um, to play at fullback, then try to put him into a halfback position. I know that's been suggested. So if that's the case, I but prefer right to let centre. The other thing too as well, if I look at it as a team's point of view, you have Crichton at left centre, you have Kikau Crichton on one side, Burton, predominantly popping up on that side, right? Mm-hmm. Taft takes away the most pressure when it comes to last like. How good is it to have a kicking ping? If Taft goes to fullback, we have a genuine kicker at fullback in general play. I'm talking about general play for mm. those not saying goal kicking. Even though Blake Taft is a goal kicker, so is Stephen Crichton. How good is that? As we've got goal kicking, like, you know, options in our top 17. But you've got a genuine kicking, a kicker in Blake Taft, right? Mm-hmm. You obviously have Matt Burton, Toby Sexton, 
and Reed's been kicking some decent 40-20s and some kicks there. We'll have four genuine kickers in our spine. Mm-hmm. So how good is that? Some teams have got one or, one genuine or, you know, one or two. We could share and we could take pressure off Matty Burton a little bit. I reckon that just balances the team better. Absolutely. Well, I probably should have read this at the start of this conversation, but let's read the quotes from Billy yeah. Slater anyway. It's... Uh, he said on the Billy Slater podcast, I don't know if I'd move him to fullback when he goes to the Bulldogs. I think he's a quality centre. He's obviously getting some good ball in the Pampers team as well. I think Stephen Crichton is doing a great job in the centres, not just with his attack, but he's making some really good decisions defensively. He moves really well. He's very athletic. Um, he may have said a little bit more, but that's that's what I can see from this article. Um, we've already talked about balance and that type of thing, so... We're in agreement there. Before we go, study. I was just going to say, before we leave that topic, defensively on the edges, how important is that now as mm. well? So putting Taff in the front line may struggle. And I feel like Sexton's done enough to, to proving its first crack at halfback as well after yes, a full, full off-season. That's my yes, opinion. Sexton's done heaps, and you know his defence has been unreal. But like but, I said, when we get the final numbers, the final squad for the uh, preseason. We'll look at that. We'll make our own 17s for a bit of fun and go from there. Maybe Josh Papali. I will. The other thing we want to touch on quickly, Scotty, was what did we make what was our opinions on the NRL finals this year? Uh, it was mostly exciting. The grand final was probably one of the best ones for a little while. It felt like genuinely two top teams like last year, for the grand final last year, mm. Penrith Parramatta. It was like it was Penrith's come to win. Well, I gen- game was I gen- over after 13 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I genuinely went into this year's grand final saying anyone could win it. There was no... I, I was thought, yeah, Penrith could favour Penrith, but not shocked if Broncos pulled the win, right? Parramatta last year, I'd be shocked. Type thing. So that was exciting. And then the game was as exciting as it... as hard as, hard as it was to tip. Um, well... Like the Melbourne games weren't too good as a whole. Mm. Anything we had Melbourne in, I didn't, I didn't enjoy that as much. But the Warriors, up the was there, had a good final. Mm. The week two of the finals was pretty cool watching them. No offense, Newcastle, because I don't want to be like Willie Mason here, uh, just <laughs> striking them. But like watching them win in front of 30,000 people, Warriors yeah. fans, like that was pretty cool. Like the way they won it as well. Um, I thought the Warriors Pampers game was really good this year. Finals week one, especially with what Warriors had out. I thought it was a good final series. What about yourself? Yeah, I, I look, this the, grand, the grand final was fantastic, right? We'll go down as one of the great grand finals for purely for what Nathan um, Cleary done in the final 20 minutes. Also, what Ezra Mann did <laughs> 20 minutes before that. Uh, it'll definitely go down as one of the great great grand finals, and I think it's Penrith's best ever grand final win. Um, I think that's pretty pretty obvious, actually, when you look through their other grand finals, 1991, oh, 2001. Yeah, last oh, couple of years. Um, South's was pretty good, where Stephen Crane's intercept changed the game, mm, mm. because that could have easily been South's win. Could have been. Um, I'd still put what just happened the other night above that. Especially um, in the context
yeah, yeah. Um, so one of the great grand finals, and then obviously the the cultural wave of support and the cultural movement behind the, the Warriors uh, that happened in New Zealand. I don't think people in Australia can really comprehend or understand even what um, has actually happened in New Zealand. But I've been hearing around s- their their run into the finals and during the finals. It was um, I've been hearing crazy. speeches and stuff like that have it up mm. the wires in it. In Australia, yeah, yeah, that was it's just... cool to catch the attention of some some fans over in Australia, and I think as well the Warriors were, I think, everyone's favourite team after if your team was eliminated. Mm. Everyone was on the Warriors bandwagon yeah. in Australia as well, but yeah, New Zealand are having mystery tattoo uh, pop up shops. Um, so well, they'll big, be having in Belmore soon. Being uh, mentioned, in, it was being mentioned in um, Parliament House in New Zealand multiple times. Um, at the all the All Blacks games at the World Cup in France and rugby union are holding signs up Kiwis were holding signs up saying up the wires uh, during games and after games and and that sort of thing. Like we've only seen drips and drabs, I think, and I've probably seen more than the average person, but yeah, I don't think I understand and comprehend what that's done for, for rugby league in New Zealand. Um but I, I did think outside of that though, I was a bit disappointed in the final series purely based on um the score lines yeah, for most that we of it, saw throughout the finals. Melbourne got smashed twice mm. which is disappointing. Uh Warriors smashed Newcastle. Panthers had a decent win over Warriors. I wouldn't call it the smashing per se. Uh the Roosters and Sharks game was a ripper. So I'll I'll pull up we'll go through the results. Broncos beat Storm twenty six nil so that didn't feel like a you know a legitimate finals match, if you that's, know what I mean. Two top four teams, yeah. Yeah, Panthers beat Warriors 32-6, so that's your top four, two, two drubbings. Sharks versus Roosters at Construction Site Stadium was 13.12 win for the Roosters. That was a good game. Uh, Newcastle just getting past uh, the Raiders, 30 points to 28. That was a good game as well. So the bottom... Defensively, yeah, the coaches were a bit upset, but yeah. <laughs> but he had bottom... that real finals desperation for yeah. both, yeah. Bottom four sides turning it on in week one. Week but they're using the better games, though. I don't find the top four games sometimes as, you know, you got the second bite. When you don't, you don't have that second bite anymore. Oh, the excitement. Yep. That, yeah, Southern Death Football. Uh, to continue in week two, the Storm pushed past the Roosters, 18 to 13. That was a good game. The Warriors oh, the last absolutely minute. smashed the Knights, 40 to 10. Uh, and then moving into to week three, we got Panthers, 38 to 4 over the Storm. I think this is where. The majority of my disappointment come. Prelim finals are supposed to be like grand finals, right? Sometimes they're Some, harder than grand finals. Sometimes Panth- they're better games. Panthers 38 to 4 over Melbourne and Brisbane 42 12 over the Warriors. Now we ended up in a situation where we had the two most consistent best sides all year play the grand final and give us one for one for the ages. But the final series as a whole, I didn't think it was unfortunately the most uh, enticing final series outside of what the Warriors did with what was happening off field. Uh, in, in the grand final, I feel the grand yeah. final probably saved this year's final series. <laughs> yeah, it, the uh, Broncos Warriors game, I actually almost forgot that it was full of controversy. Uh, two forward passes back to back. The Tom Brady, he yeah, actually, then, uh, uh, that was a worse pass than Mitchell Moses from last year. Was the Cowboys. That's right, <laughs> but that was a massive turning point in that game because that the game was still on the line. And when you get a, sometimes get a call that's that obviously terrible, where yeah. if 
the second pass was forward as well. Mm. Leading up to the try, but that's a pass you can kind of go, yeah, okay, that situation you can. Uh, forgive. Behind by twelve at that point, and the forward pass happened. The first forward pass happened about halfway. So if they come back for a scrum, Warriors get attacking sets for a try. They're behind by six. That's, that changes the whole game. Mm. But that's what it was. Yeah, like that whole situation they gave. Terrible. It's the worst forward pass I've ever seen. That's never been like caught. The second forward pass was pretty bad, but th- that's those ones you you can kind of live with, I guess. Especially mm. in that situation where everyone's at full speed sprinting. Mm. Um, but like the second one was forward, but it wasn't like the the biggest forward pass ever. Like because Reese Walsh did it earlier on that same play. Um, and there's also now what debate of the bunker. Should there be an unofficial rule? I don't want the bunker looking at forward passes because we've had that we've had video referees doing that before and it didn't work out well. Should there be an unofficial rule that no one knows about where if it's that obvious, because you can't put it as a rule, right? You can't say, oh, if it's obvious, the bunker can interfere as a rule because what's obvious? Half a meter yeah. it's obvious or it's five meters? meters obvious. Yeah. Like, what's, what's obvious? But I wouldn't mind in that situation if there was just a little whisper in the ear forward pass on halfway. And the referee just, even if it's late, you know, the Broncos already celebrated the try. Forward pass on 50. Uh, the referee calls the forward pass. We go back. Because I, I agree with you there, because there's two ways you can save this, right? Mm. You let it go. There's 50 fouls on Suncorp. Mm. To save everyone from the embarrassment, the referee tried something at the time. I'm not picking on him. This is definitely a it's just the referee at the time, right? Mm. Could have been the whistle and gone, sorry, mate, didn't catch you. You're mm. calling in my ear and I just couldn't get you. Tell the cape from the touchy. Yeah, I just didn't, yeah, I didn't get you. And then he's running up, and then you could say he ran up because he was, you know, because remember, the touch judges are there to assist the referee. He goes forward, the referee just says, no, let's play on, right? Mm. So he could have went, yeah, mate, sorry about that, didn't get you. And then it would have happened before, because if everyone's kept running, right, the bunker could say, he could go to the bunker and go, mate, can you just give me where Reese Walsh was standing, please? Because he goes, we know there's a forward pass around here, just so we make sure we know the scrum's in the right place. Mm. Like, it's on the right line. You know what I mean? So that would have saved it because he could have, because he could have said, yeah, yeah, mate, the crowd's unreal. Like, you could have said, well, the crowd's a bit loud. I can't, I didn't hear what Especially you're saying. Especially at the moment when every try is reviewed anyway. Yeah. So there would have had to be someone in the bunker in that game who was reviewing that try. And they would have had to press try confirmed. But could you imagine that feeling of being in the bunker knowing it's not a try? Knowing it's a five meter forward pass and yeah. you'd have to hit try confirmed. Yeah, it's shocking. Like, surely it would be easier for the bunker to go, nah. The worst thing about two, remembering it, Reese Walsh actually reacts in a negative way. Mm. He throws the ball because it slips out of his hands. That's why it goes that far forward because he lets go of it too early. And he was filthy with himself because he let go of it too early. It slipped out of his, his grip early. So he knew. But could you say, in that situation, because the ball slipped out of his hand and he flies from the ball, you can always call it a knock-on. He threw it, the, you know? Like, they to say... Couple, they did that a couple of years ago for one pass that was sort of up-ish. They said it was a knock-on to get away with it, but yeah. Yeah. But no, I'm just saying, like, I agree with that, because you can save everything by going, just yeah. in here, the, or the, what's wrong with the mic? And then you can even do the whole fake... Why we put the just, scrum together? Just don't, give the media, just don't give the media access to the bunker microphone. Yeah. They, you know, people could speculate, oh, was that from the bunker or whatnot, but who cares? Um, 
Speaking about honest, speaking about honesty, I mean, watching a little bit of the the highlights of the Rugby World Cup, there was this incident where uh, a player came close to scoring a try, and the referee went to go to the TMO, and the player actually goes, "No, nah, mate, didn't get it." And the referee goes, "What?" He goes, "I locked it on." He goes, "Are you happy if we play lock on? No need to check." The player said, "Yeah." So the TMO, don't worry about it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That happened before, Adam Gilchrist-esque, hey? Sportsmanship. Uh, yeah, Adam yeah, Gilchrist must be part of the rugby setup. I don't know. <laughs> All right, let's 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 leave it at that one. Um, we'll be back at some point in the next couple of months to talk off-season and pr- predictions for the year ahead and the squad and, and all that sort of stuff and any news that may break. But good talking to you again, Scotty. It's been a little while. Yeah, always good doing an episode. Catch you later.